two years ago when I first visited Australia. Many of you know Pastor Peter. We went there just to see what a move of God looked like. Because very often you hear about moves of God, but you never get the opportunity to be in the midst of one. And you never get the chance to see and talk to the people who are serving in the move of God. Because whenever there's a move of God, there are key things we need to learn. You can say amen at that point. There are key things we need to learn. We need to learn how to respond with the way God moves. <laughs> if I say to you as a move of God, you go, so? That's why the move of God doesn't come. When the move of God comes, everything has to move towards accommodating the move of God. Or it no longer becomes a continuous move, it becomes a morning experience. So when the move of God comes, you have to learn how to adapt and adopt and change and transform so you can go with the move. Most moves don't last long. Why? Not because the move hasn't got the will to, to move, because the men won't position themselves to follow after and pursue, pursue the, uh, the move of God. That was going to fall off then. Pursue the move of God. But anyway, we went to Australia to, perceive, uh, to, to see forensically how a move of Zion works. And on one of the nights, Phil and I were being prayed for. And prophetically, I was told by one of the, the, the seers that he saw an eight, two angels standing at the side of us with a treasure trove. And inside the treasure trove, there were so many things. But God would, you have to bring it home, unpack it, and begin to see what God has put. Now we did that and I don't want to go down that line but we've seen many, many things come out of that treasure trove and uh, we're, we're, we're certainly blessed for it. And so it's important that you, you do what God's telling you. So had we not gone there, I don't think I could have presented to you this morning what I'm about to present because what I realized when I was in Australia is that in order to build a prophetic apostolic base, God had already put the DNA inside of my life. But it's not until I saw it, I recognized and realized it was inside me. Does that make sense? Very often God will take you to places to show you that he's already put that inside you. You can do it. You can't do it because you're smart, but because he's already put that inside of you. And this was one of my encounters. So last Sunday when I was in London, speaking to the Filipino church, Oh, let me redress that. When I was speaking to the church, not the Filipino, I want to eradicate that. There's no such thing as a Filipino church. There's a church. So if you hear me say it, say, Pastor, stop it. Okay. There's no such thing. All right? All right? I'm not being funny. That's true. There's only one church. So when I was speaking to the church with Filipinos in it, God began to show me about the situation when Carol was giving birth to Scott. And for those who don't know, I'm not going to go through into the whole story, but needless to say, after Carol had given birth, Scott has taken, after an, an, an initial time of bonding with the mother, Scott was put down, let's call it the nursery. A couple of hours later, someone walks in, picks Scott up, walks out of the hospital, and there's a national police hunt looking for a baby, stolen baby. And it was pretty dramatic, as you can imagine. But it's given me a lot of leverage wherever I go around the world. And uh, it's really helped a lot of people and also give me a little bit of material. Um, but God said to me, he said, why when you labor so long to bring something to birth, do you not protect what you've birthed? 
And the Lord began to speak to me and I understood what he was talking to me. What I'm about to talk to you this morning about is that we must protect what we're trying to bring to birth. All of us must each protect the seed that's within us. Carol carried the seed for nine months. She pushed, she labored, she carried to give birth only for someone else to come and take it and try and destroy what God had given as a, as a gift. Amen? The enemy, the Bible says in John 10, 10. Can you see it? No, you probably can't. Okay, let's just leave that up there. I'm going to put these on the internet so you can get these off the internet. The Bible says this, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. What's his job? To only to kill, steal, and destroy. It's not on there, but so listen to me. But I've come that you may have life and have it in full. So the enemy, God has put something inside us, but he wants us to protect because the enemy will try and do the opposite. Okay? So the, we've all received the gift of life, have we not? We've received the new son. We've received the seed of life. Now it has to be taken care of and it has to be brought to birth. So, how many's heard of a man called John Mark in the Bible? Now, John Mark, it says in Acts chapter 12, the scripture's on there, but I know your eyes can't see that because I tried to get it all on one slide, but I can see it better here. Can you see it clear from there? She said, when I'm looking that way, it seems miles away. All right, in Acts 12, verse 11, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, so Mark's on the radar straight away, where many people had gathered and they were praying. In Acts 12, 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, called Mark. So Mark's on the scene, Mark's on a journey. Mark's on the scene, Mark's on the journey. Okay, here we go to Acts 15, verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him, but Paul did not think it wise to take him. Why? Because this boy had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So there's a flaw in John or Mark. Is that okay? There's a flaw in him. He's around the move, he's around the apostles, he's around the, the works of God, but he himself needs work. Can you see that? John, John Mark is flawed. And then he says, but, but Paul chose Silas. Oh, sorry, uh, verse 39, they had a, such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers of the grace, to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, why did Barnabas go for Mark? Because it was his cousin. Family. You don't believe me? The Bible says in Colossians 4.10, it shows you the connection between the two of them. They were related. So he batted for family. He didn't see the wisdom. He didn't see the wisdom. Because he was connected in the family, he chose the wrong one. Paul chose Silas. Who do you read more about in the Bible? Paul and Silas. You don't read much about Mark, do you? But Mark isn't lost. Mark isn't a lost hope. Because later on, in 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in the ministry. So from him going with Barnabas to all through the process of Paul calling for him, something had to take place in his life. Can you see that? Welcome 
to authentic sonship. Write that down. That's the journey you're on. Authentic sonship. So, what makes you position for sonship? Hey, I'm using technology this morning. Don't I look cool? Looks really good, this. With one flick of a button, I have power to change from slide to slide. This is a new technology. My hands are full. My mouth, listen, this is multitasking. Left and right and mouth moving. This is, this is as good as it gets. So in Galatians 4, verse 6, we said, Because you are sons of God, sent, God sent the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts. Where is it? In our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So the spirit of sonship is inside everyone who's accepted Jesus Christ. But the issue is, is there a cry for sonship inside of you? So my wife or every human, every human being that's born, there was a point of connection. Two people get connected, okay? They make a baby. Yes? So there's life there. On the night the wife conceives, there's life in the womb. Is that right? So she's carried in the womb for how long? Nine months. There's life there, but the baby's not been birthed. But the life's there. Do we all understand that? The life's actually in the woman. That's why we're pro-lifers. That's why we're pro-lifers. The moment it conceived, there's life. It doesn't matter if the baby's grown or not. There's life. Right? So... There's life there, so it's protected. The woman has to protect what's inside her womb. So she protects it in order to give birth to it. Now, you've got life inside you. You have to protect it in order to give birth, but you need someone to help you give birth. You don't have baby on your own. So here we see that you've been given the spirit of sonship, but to see the spirit birth, you need to come into authentic sonship. Because at this point, you're just a believer. You have to be more than just a believer. The Bible calls you a son. Sons are different than just believers. Okay? So, what I've seen in my life is this. You're going to see this in your life. Now, when I was born again, I got born again, saved on May the 10th, 1979. It's a long time ago. And I was brought into the kingdom, guess by, David. He brought me into the kingdom. I was in, we were having a conversation in his mother's bedroom. The light dawned on. I got on my knees, received Jesus Christ, and now I make a great point of telling my mother-in-law, God met me in her bedroom. And she freaked out at the fact that God was in her bedroom. So I was telling her on the day that Tom got married, that I got saved. She was fascinated. She was astonished that I got saved in her bedroom. Because mother-in-law was thinking, what was you doing in my bedroom? Was my daughter there? No, I wasn't with your daughter. I was with your son. And it's not like that neither. <laughs> we was birthing. We was bringing something to birth. But it was a new creation. So the very fact that my mother-in-law thinks that Jesus walks in her bedroom is half the job to me witnessing to her. So, and then from 
being saved, you can't just stay at being saved. Well, you can. Many of us have, and many of us did. But then God began to bring this birthing process into full maturity. It has to be set on a journey. So you're saved, great, big deal. You go to church, great, big deal. But nothing's established inside your life other than you just feel, now, now I've got this Jesus fella. That's because that's all you know him as a fella. You don't know him yet. You just received him. But he wants you to know him. So he has to start you on a journey. Okay? I moved then into discipleship. When I first came here, for a couple of years, I was arrogant and proud until God got his hands around me through a woman, the pastor's wife, and I began to acknowledge that I needed to grow. I needed to change. See, when you first get saved, your old nature's forgiven, but it's not changed. How many of you know that your old nature's still there? Carnal desires are still there. Well, they have to go, but they go through a process. Yeah? That's why you still struggle trying to do the right things. And you enjoy doing the wrong things. And then later on, when you've done the wrong things, you feel guilty about it. You think, oh, God won't speak to me again. I can't speak to God. I feel so bad. That's because you have a, 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 you have a, lean, a tendency to lean towards sinful things. But the more you start being discipled, those, those things change. So you have less desires to do the wrong things and more desires to do the right things. Amen? So I moved into discipleship. This is where the Christ nature was now beginning to be formed in me. So I've received him, but now I'm into discipleship. This is where you let somebody put their hands on your life. This is where you are truly, Bible says this, and you shall know by the fruits of my disciples. If you are genuine, you'll have fruits. If you're genuine. That's why we call it authentic sonship. Yes? So we're trying to show God that we're serious about what we've received. That makes sense? Young people, you need to be serious about what you've received. Then, in 1995, my pastor, through some conflict I had with my pastor, I began to submit to my pastor. And when I humbled myself, he began to put his hands on me in a completely different way, and he began to shape me for leadership. So I've gone, I've been saved, I've been discipled, I've now been mentored. See the process? So not only is mentoring good, but it's still not the the final destination. So then in 2000, well in 1998 I first meet Jonathan David, but in 2000 is when we really connected with him and then he started the process of fathering me. Fathering, when a man speaks to a son and speaks to him as a father. Now, it took me time to let my guard down so we could have that kind of relationship. So now I have a, I've gone from salvation, so I've gone from, I've, I've received from the father, okay, the seed. I've gone through discipleships and now I learn the ways of Christ, the spirit of Christ. Now I need the walk of Christ. Then I have the mentor upon my life when he helps me position myself for the calling that's coming on my life. Amen? Then the father gets his hands upon my life and he begins to show me how silly I am, how immature I am, even when I thought I was mature. He begins to show me patterns. He begins to show me how to tap into the spirit realm. 
He begins to position me for stature. And every one of us needs these four levels on our lives. Every one of us must go through the process. Now, these 98% of Christians have never, ever, ever, ever had the experience of those four areas. Most people have been saved and they learn a little bit from here. They take a little bit from there, a little bit from here. And they are never developed as a disciple. Why? Because they've never let anyone put their hands on their life. And the older we get, the more we seem to become self-sufficient. The older we get, the more we become, well, I don't need that no more. I'm not, I'm not a baby anymore. But you still have childish ways. You still have childish immaturity. You still can't take a rebuke. That shows whether we, what we need in our life. The Bible says, Timothy 2, 2, 3, sorry, 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. How many people can be corrected and how many people will allow themselves to be trained? In righteousness. How many people can take a rebuke? Well, the church should be a place where it should be in full encouragement. The Bible doesn't say that. See, because you've not been discipled, you don't know that. So now you make your own opinions up of what you think church should be. And then you expect everybody else to live to your standards. Guess what? God's not going to do that. So, we see that the, the whole process of discipleship is a process. It's not about how often you come to church. We are not trying to help you create a church life. We are trying to help you develop a God life. Hello? Because church doesn't change a lot of people, but God does. So, everyone needs a midwife. But why? It's true in the natural, is it not, Mel? It's what's got you a job. And you know one thing, you're never going to be out of work. Why? Because like the funeral, the funeral director, there's always people dying and there's always people being born. True? Every, right now, people are being born. When she's not at work, it still goes on. So, the thing is, can you guess? If I said to you, taxis, trains, homes, out in the bush, or in a lift somewhere, what would you think I'm referring to? These are all places babies are born. We'd like to think hospital. But it's not, not every baby's born in a hospital. I was a home birth. That was a home run. That was a home run for someone. But all these are places where real people are born. Now, why do people get born in those places? Well, it's obvious. In many situations, lack of uh, poverty. So there's no hospitals. So there's no technology. Or there's no access to the expertise. So people have to make do with what they've got. True? So if there's a lady here and she's ready to give birth, it doesn't, we can't say, sorry darling, you have to keep it in. Because there's no expertise here. We're a million miles away from a hospital. And we haven't got no running water. What's she going to say? It's coming, whether you want it or not. So what do we do? We have a vote. Who's the most experienced? So the oldest woman who's had about five kids, you think, right, you've got some experience. But Mel, it's not like that, is it? But in reality, if you're in a lift, or you're in, in the back waters of some country where there's no, you're miles away from hospital, you do what you have to do. 
Why? Because someone's life is at stake. Is it not true? So the one who's got the most knowledge or the one who's got the most courage has a go, doesn't know what they're doing, has a go, and they're just hoping that it's going to be a straight, come on, come on darling, I'm ready. It's going to come somewhere we've got a snip. Is this not, this not true? Of course you've got to do that. Why? Because that's what the moment demands. In the church, we've not, we're not too dissimilar. The one who's been the Christian the longest gets the job of discipling people. But we didn't know, what we don't know is, just because he's the oldest, what does he know? Half the time, he knows nothing. He just knows that, oh, Jesus loves you. Well, that's a great for getting you saved, but that's not enough to get you discipled. It's not enough for you to be mentored, and it's not enough for you to be fathered. So we find there's a, there's a lot of places around the world where people are coming into the kingdom, but that, though that's the start, the process must carry on. So you may have got saved in a church that just barely believed God. You may have even got saved in a Church of England church, a Catholic church. You might have even got saved in a cult. It's possible to be saved in a number of places. Do you know that? But the very fact that you're saved is God's hand upon your life. But now you're saved, no excuses. Now we're moving. Now you're all in here. You're not in the bush. You're not in a lift. You're not in a taxi cab. You're here. So now you're here, you can't use those excuses. Well, I didn't really, because in my last year, I was in a church for seven years. I didn't even know anything about discipleship. For seven years, did we? It was never a word used. All we got taught was bells and smells, incense, nonsense. Jesus is coming back again. That's all we got taught. So when I came in here, I thought I was smarter than everybody else. Little did I know there was a life to be lived. So, this is where most of us are. Now, most Christians, when you look at most church people today, not everyone, a lot, it's frightening, it's frightening to see the amount of dysfunctions that people live with. The amount of things that people do and the amount of things that people say and call it Jesus is frightening. You don't know that, I'm telling you, it's true. It's true. Just because you use the name of Jesus does not mean to say it's the name of Jesus. So there are primary concerns that we must address. If we're going to enter into discipleship, we must understand why. Hello? A little bit of response would be okay here. And we're talking about your development here. Okay? So everyone needs a midwife. Would you agree with that? Right. Now you know that in the natural, but you see it in the spirit. You need someone to help you. Well, it's okay. You're here on a Sunday. People say, well, you saw it. You're here on a Sunday. We're not talking about a Sunday. We're talking about your life. Your life. Your life is not Sunday. So we need to address primary concerns. There you go. The first one, let me read you this scripture. But I'm afraid. So someone's concerned about what we're going to read about in a minute. Someone's concerned. Can you get that in your head? Someone's concerned. That someone is me, and that someone was the Apostle Paul. Why was he concerned? Listen to this. Just as Eve was deceived by the serpent cunning, or let's say the serpent's cunning craftiness, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So is that not a, is that not a legitimate concern? 
that people are being lured away from their pure devotion to Jesus Christ. That's a legitimate concern. True? For if someone comes to you and preaches, listen, a Jesus, other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Wow. That is a major concern. That is a major concern that you can hear, receive, and accept something that's not genuine. That's what happens when you get a little bit from Monica, a little bit from Jessica, a little bit from Alan, a little bit from Steve. When you drink at different people's wells or you eat at different church tables, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Because they're going to offer you another Jesus. They're going to offer you another gospel. It's going to sound like God, but it's going to be another gospel. Why? Because it's going to lead you down a different path. When a Jehovah's Witness knocks on the door, do you know he's in error straight away? No. Because he'll use key phrases like Jesus. Yeah, we believe in Jesus Christ. They'll use certain language to get you on the page and then you see the pathway starting to take you into error. But it doesn't start off at error. Not to your ears, it does because they're in deception. And you walk down a path. That's why your mother says, don't play with him. Your mother sees that though he's got his mouth, his, his lips are moving with flattery, his spirit's a different spirit than, your, than her son. She's concerned that if she listens to this boy, she'll come under the influence of him. And then she'll lose her son to another way. Is that not the, the concern of a mother or a father? So, um, the next scripture, in, in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one you called by the grace. So he's afraid in the first scripture, now he's astonished. That you're so quickly deserting the one you called by the grace and Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is not a gospel at all, but people think it is. Okay, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel, yeah, then the one we preach you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so, uh, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you another gospel than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And then Paul says, I'm not trying to win your favor. I'm trying to warn you. He's very concerned about the following things we've just read. So if the Apostle Paul, who laid the foundation for the church, should be concerned, how much more should a pastor? Is that fair to say? So I've got your welfare at heart. Me and the elders, I've got the, the welfare of you at heart. We pray for you. We labor for you. Why? Because we want to protect your pure, sincere devotion to Christ. But the trouble is, is when pastors carry that desire, but the sheep don't carry it. The sheep don't carry the same pure devotion to Christ that the pastor sometimes carries. So therefore, he's trying to warn the people, protect the people, put structures in place so that the people don't get carried away and misled, but the people themselves don't want it. So they end up fighting him. Hello? Listen. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be really honest. We all got here somehow. We all fell out with someone along the, line, along the way to be here. 
Someone tried to speak wisdom to us and God had to use us, this place, to recalibrate us. I was in rebellion. I was angry. I was, I was full of pride when I first walked in here. I said I would never go back into this church again. God had to get me here to recalibrate me. He said, oh, you want a challenge, do you? So God must use someone to recalibrate your life. Because your life, if you became a Christian, why did you become a Christian? Was it just to come to church? Then it becomes a duty. Then it becomes a chore. And then you despise, after a while, your duty and your, and your chore. God doesn't want you to, be, to, to come to church and have that kind of heart. He wants you to, to be a joy. He says, protecting the sincere, pure love and joy. It's a relationship. It's not an activity. Does that make sense? So, primary concern number one is we must address so we can protect. By me addressing this this morning and what we're about to do as a church, we are addressing a primary concern. We are addressing your pure love and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. Is that a noble cause? Can I, say, can I hear an amen? Even if you don't want to go any further, but can you still see that is a noble cause? Can I hear from the back? Okay. It's a pure noble cause. I want to protect the sons and daughters in the house as a father. Is that fair? Absolutely. Primary concern number two, to outline and make it clear the different voices that are speaking and misleading believers. There are many voices you're going to be listening to this week. Through TV, through radio, through conversations with other people, through internet. There'll be many, many voices that you will listen to and they will try to get you on their path. How many of you know there's a spirit of the age? And the spirit of the age will try to get you to conform to the spirit of the age. And it does it through the power of its voice. Social media. We all get on. It's amazing how many Christians are swearing on social media. Because they think it's cool. It's not cool at all. You're meant to be different. You're meant to be different. But we fit right in. We think it's cool. That's called the spirit of the age. We didn't say you, you can't use social media. We say it's the way you use it. True? How many... How many Times does Facebook and tweeting get sports stars in, in trouble? Because it's reactionary. And it appeals to your carnal nature. Because you react. True? Oh, you've never been. You've, that's why I, I never, if I can, I don't use it that much. I just observe. I observe. Why? Because it's a great way for me as a pastor to observe the lives of those calling themselves believers. That's it, it's just simple. That's all I use it for, and to buy trainers. <laughs> you were the resident expert, so I came to you. Primary concern number three, there's another Christ to be offered. So we've heard the, the gospel, uh, there's a... A different voices, there's another Christ, primary concern number four, there's a different spirit that wants to operate. 
Primary concern number five, there's another gospel to be accepted, which is no gospel at all, Paul said. But nevertheless, it deceives people and it'll take years of your life. It'll take years of your life before you discover, actually, there's no power in that. It's meaningless. How many people are locked in institutional Christianity? It's purposeless. It's going nowhere. It just is ritualistic. The same things happen every week. What's the point of being there? God can't speak. God can't heal. But how many years of people's lives has it taken? It's no gospel at all. Primary concern number six, there are people who easily put up with, listen to this, there are people who easily put up with what they hear and easily accept what they're given. Oh, but I'm not one of them. We all put up with things and accept things easily given. That's why, in many ways, we're spiritually dysfunctional. Because we put up, when you watch your Christian TV, you listen to what somebody's saying, you put up with it. And you accept it. It came into your room by your remote control. It didn't force its way into your room. That book you're reading didn't come from the shop and get into your house by stealth. You went and bought it. That music you listened to, that relationship you entered into, it just didn't walk into your life. You accepted it. You opened the door for it. Why? Because you thought it sounded good. You thought it was going to fix the problem at the moment. True? This is why we need discipleship. Well, I've been a Christian a long time now. It's okay. You're not dead. You're still alive. You can change. We can start the process. We can turn you around. I've been a Christian for eight years before I got discipled. It's okay. You're still alive. Well, well, I think I've just been in here too long now. I don't think I can change. You know what? You're probably right. You're probably right. So we need a house with spiritual midwifery. Spiritual. We've got the physical, so it's okay. Any, any moment someone you're going to give birth, we're okay, we're covered. And if she doesn't know, I think the mum's picked up a few tricks, so she might be able to intervene. Just like if someone, you know, has a heart attack and you've got a nurse, it's okay. We've got people on location. If you go to heaven, we can always call you back. We've got the address. We've got the code. We know how to get you back to be there. So setting the people on the journey is our primary concern. Putting you on a course now is going to be our action. So we've just outlined to you the concerns we have. Now we're going to approach the issue and put us as a house on a new track. Is it okay? Well, we're doing it. When I say okay, you know I'm going to do it. Because it's for your growth. Because a dad always does what's right for his children. I do it for my, even now, he's 27. But even now, dad still wants to protect his pure love devotion to his mum and dad. Why? Because we've got relationship. Where there's love, you want to, protection's always there. That's a fruit of love. So as a leadership, we want to protect, and we know that we have to put you on a course, on a course, I mean a direction, a path. So, here's the, I know you can't probably see all that, but it's okay. The first place you start, when you become a believer, you become a saint. 
from now on as a church, this will become our roadmap into maturity. So I would ask that you look at this, familiarize yourself with it, because somewhere in this matrix you're going to be, you're going to be. I can describe your life in one of these areas. Okay? Saint. What is a saint? Those. Yeah, hang on. Oh, I haven't got the slide on me, so I'll have to read it off the slide. Those who are willing to have the seed within them brought into maturity through discipleship. So you've got a seed within your life. But it needs to be brought through into maturity. It needs to be birthed. I asked Mel a question the other day. She was advertising training shoes. And right in the midst of a sale, I go and ask her, what does it actually mean? For the baby to be so many 10 centimeters dilated. And she gave me a perfect answer. The answer I thought she was going to give me. <laughs> because I wanted to make sure to get it right. Because if I'm talking about birthing, I need to understand. Get it right so that we can use the analogy. I know the parallel only goes so far. I know that. So I'm not trying to stretch it and cross over into something I'm not supposed to. But you have to be brought into birthing but you're not some of you have not ready because you've held back so we're just releasing some fragrance is that all right so that your spiritual cervix gets ready to go is that all right because some of us have held back right we've held back so something has to happen in our hearts for us to start the process of birthing hey you ready you can tell I've given birth, can't you? So a saint. Then we move. The Bible talks about servants. See, because you've got many saints, but you don't have a lot of servants. Now, a servant is someone, it isn't someone who puts the chairs out or turns the electricity on. Or should say lights on, I should say. Electricity's already flowing. That's not a servant. That's just one task of servanthood. Okay. A true servant is the one who picks up his cross and follows his master's will. A true servant is, what, is one who puts down his own nets. Jesus saw the disciples. Was it Andrew? Who was it? First that he saw. Was it Andrew? Fish, sorry, James and John. He said, put down your nets and follow me. There has to be putting down of your old life so you can follow the new life and the process. Is that fair? So he says, at once, he said, they left their nets. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, I'll make you fishermen. Because you already were fishermen. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. He was going to change their destiny. But they had to put something down. And until you put something down, you'll never find your destiny. You'll never find it. So you have to listen to another voice, pick up. What this new voice is, de is declaring over your life, so you can, because that's where your destiny is. Discipleship prepares you and puts you on the map for your destiny. Without discipleship, there's no destiny. It doesn't matter what preacher preaches it, he never talks about discipleship. He also talks about destiny is just going to be there for you. It's not. It has to be birthed, and there has to be a path leading to destiny that comes through discipleship. That's why many of us are unfulfilled. We try a lot of things in the hope of getting fulfillment. But you never can get fulfillment until you've been set on the path to destiny. 
Somebody has to set you clearly on the path so that you can do, when you're doing all those things, you will not let those things take you in a different path. Do you understand, do you understand what I'm saying? Young people, university will try and take you in a different path. University is not wrong, we know that. Let Pharaoh educate you, that's fine. But university is where it's the seat of learning, it's where the spirit of the age congregates. And how does he do it? Through philosophies. So we all, as parents, we, we want our kids to go to university, but we don't guard them from the philosophies that's been taught in the university. And then what happens is they go and pursue, they go pursue an opportunity that has nothing to do with their destiny. And then we lose our kids. Oh, they've got a career, but they've got no spiritual life. And everything you labored for has gone because of the philosophy. And now they're trapped in the system. They can't get out. They've got no God life. And this is what they say. Can't come on Sunday, mum. I've got work. Why oh, he's working. You followed after a, a direction based on a philosophy. And now it's trapped you. We all need work. We all need payment. True? We've all got a life to live. Okay. But we don't, we've got to make sure we're not caught to the slave master. He's the master. Our destiny is him, not our boss. But your boss will tell you, well, you know what, son? If you don't want that job, well, we'll just make room for somebody else. So now they're ruled by fear. Well, you know, we need a rise. We're not working hard enough. Well, do you know what? There's a lot of Polish workers who will come in. So what they're doing now is taking away the straw, but they still want the bricks. That's Pharaoh. You selling your kids into that. Be careful. Destiny is more important than anything else. So you've got a career, but that's still not destiny. That's a career. Now, your destiny may involve your career. Absolutely. But just be careful that you just don't get a career without God and destiny. Don't sell your birthright. Amen? So the sainthood is very important. The servant, these are people who carry a spirit of honor and self-alignment irrespective of their circumstances. How many people are affected by the circumstances? Why? And if you're affected by your circumstances, it's proof that you need discipleship. It's proof that you need discipleship if you're affected by your circumstances. Because the maturing of the believer helps us to rise above. And think differently and see things differently. That's why we sang this morning, I can sing. I can sing through all those things. Can you really? If you can, then there's maturity in you. Then we move into soldiers. Are we able to fight, hold our ground? Sickness comes on you. It's amazing how many Christians I've seen being taken out because they've got no weapons to fight. They've got no military training, no understanding of how to stand in a spiritual fight. And their only, their only weapon is tears. They cry. Oh, I just cried to God, Lord, get me out of here. No, no. We need to learn how to stand in the fight. Is there a fight in the dog? Is the fight in the dog yet? And what's the size of the fight in the dog? So he says, those who can understand the cost, cause, an outcome of a battle. Do you understand what, we're, what battle we're in? Do you understand the cause? Do you understand the cost? See, none of these things can be understood without discipleship. 
And you realize, you know what, I'm beginning to see that God is showing, I'll use you as an example, your age group, because you're the first in my eye line. I'm beginning to see older men and women in the faith realize, you know what, actually, I've never been discipled. It's never been made available to me. I didn't see it like this. I didn't. And it's amazing how many, God's bringing people back into alignment. It doesn't matter about your age. If God can show you that this process is, you know what, I can see where I am and I can see why I've struggled. It's it's an eye-opener. I can see why I struggled for years as a saint, but I was never a servant. I could understand even when I started undertaking servanthood that I could never fight a battle because I'd never been trained to fight. And then I moved, many of us never moved into the final sonship. Those who have not only a cry of sonship with him, but carry a transferred legacy. Who are the sons? Those who do the father's business. The Bible's very clear. So we see that this process here is very clear. Give me five minutes and we're finished. Now you was coming back tonight, so you're not coming back tonight. So let me just give me five minutes so I can finish this. Is that okay? And I realize we're gone. Time's gone. Come on. So what we are asking, we are going to start discipleship as a house. We are, we are pursuing this as our primary concern. We are pursuing discipleship. Our, our aim is to put everybody through discipleship. Your response will allow us to do that. Obviously, if you don't want that, that's your choice. But we will pursue it anyway because we want this as the pattern for those coming, the next people coming through the door. We want to see you grow. We want to protect your love. We want to, so we want to protect your pure devotion to Christ. So we as a leadership realize, I've spoken about this. God spoke to us very clearly about this. He said, Tony, build this into the life of the church. Pursue it with all you've got because I can only bring growth to you if you've got this kind of mentality in the house. I first and foremost look for disciples. It's the bedrock of Christianity, disciples. And in a disciple, there should be a son. There should be a servant. There should be a soldier. There are saints In a disciple, they're the four core dynamics that make up any disciple anywhere in the world. A true disciple is someone who's a saint, who's a servant, who's a soldier, who has become a son. So at any one time you bring people into a church, you can say, well, actually, you know what? You've been a Christian five years, but you know what? I really feel that you've not moved into servanthood. Or you can say to another person, you're counseling them. You can say, you know, half of your problem is because you've never actually entered into discipleship. You live by your emotions. You don't live by the word of God. And you don't live by the word of God because you don't understand the word of God. You live by your circumstances. You don't, you've never had, you've never been discipled. You've never been mentored. You've never been fathered. So you you leave everything up to human deduction. So you're in trouble when you do that. Because that's not going to build faith. We build on what we, you know, the word of God is coming to us. The word of God comes to us. So what we're going to be doing is the first week of every month, we will be running discipleship class in here. Everyone can come, right? It's open to everyone. Now, what we would ask you as a church is that you commit yourself to that 
hook, line, and sinker. Because if you need discipleship, the only way you'll get discipled is by coming. But, because time's running out, I'm skipping a lot of things here. What we're also going to do is on the last week of every month, we're going to break down into groups. And we're going to call them accountability groups. Because you can't disciple people just from talking. You have to disciple people from taking and putting them into a group, small group, not house groups. We're not running house groups. These are not house groups. These are of a different function altogether. These are accountability groups where you'll be working through some of the issues and questions that we'll set for discipleship. I guarantee the Holy Ghost is on this. I guarantee your life will change tremendously if you can commit yourself in protecting your own pure, sincere devotion to Christ. You say, well, I can do it at home. Well, we all can, but we're not at home. We're here. Well, I don't, have to become a, I, don't, I don't have to go to church to become a Christian. No, you're right, but if you want to grow as one, you do. You can get saved anywhere, you're right. Don't ever let people think, think they're smart because they can pull that one out. They're not. If you want to grow as a Christian, you have to be around the family of God, around the word of God. It's, it's, that's the only way. It's the only way. So we, MPOG will still carry on. Still carry on. Other things will still carry on. Building the spirit will still carry on. Why? Because those things are right to do so. This is for us all. Every one of us. MPOG's for women right now. So if you're not a woman, you're excluded. But this is all inclusive. Any age can come. Obviously, I'm not talking about the little ones, but that's going to pose some problems because we're babysitters. I appreciate that, fully understand that. The mechanics we're going to have to work out. But the actual, the principle of going into discipleship is something that we desperately, desperately have to do. Because I believe what God's going to bring the growth to us, we have to have pillars in the church that can hold what God's doing. If we're going to move out into the city and take and pioneer other works, we need trained people. This house is not built for sitting. This house is built for going. Okay, so bearing that in mind, you have to, we're asking you through the, through the grace of the Holy Spirit to give us this time of your life to be discipled. I won't fight you. I won't write you a letter inviting you. You've got the invite. I want you to see what we're saying and see it valuable in your own life. Make arrangements once a month, at the end of every month, two times in the month, where we'll hit this discipleship and you will see the lives transformed. I guarantee it, you will see it. Do you know why I know? Because I've been through the process. I've been through the process of discipleship. It is powerful. It is powerful. The midwives are going to rise. And I need you to help me in this because you're assisting me and the leaders in growth. You're assisting us in the growth because you are the people that, we, that God wants to use for those who are coming in and for those when we go out. I need preachers. I need servants. I need sons. I need soldiers. When the, when the father goes to the front line of the battlefield, he has arrows in his quiver. The arrows are the sons, the saints, the servants. So he can pull you and say, right, I need someone in Swinton. Boom, fire. 
it swims in. That's an arrow. Pulls another arrow out. We need to go to the nation, the Philippines. Boom. Pulls out a group of people. Let's put them for two weeks or whatever. I'm not saying you go to the Philippines for life. When you get there, you might feel a call. That's grace. Well, who's waiting for you? But if we don't put the arrows, if the arrows are not in a quiver, we can never run to the front lines of the battlefield and fire our arrows. You are the arrows in God's quiver. But if God can't ever use you, guess what? He can't use you. And he'll choose somebody else. So we want you to be responsible, accountable, reliable. Responsible, accountable, reliable. Now we'll keep talking about this because I know we're not at it all in one morning. But I really would like us, we'll announce the first date, we're going to do it. Don't worry, you'll have enough time to make your plans, make your arrangements. The groups will be interesting. I really believe this is, the re- this is a way to bring some growth into you, to the house. This is not a strategy. This is not a vision for the city. This is a vision for the house right now, to raise disciples, to raise sons, to raise servants. Now, if you have problems with that, you've got a lot of problems with Christianity because these are the fundamentals of Scripture. So we're only being Bible on us. Is that okay? Now, young people, this means you. Pendo, I can look at your eyes from here. I can see you. This means you. You are now, you through Unleash, have been getting some mature material now for the last 12 months that some of these folks have not had. So you're already at a level for this. This is born for you. Now you say, well, we've got schoolwork. Well, if you know what day we're doing it, do your homework. Turn TV off. And go back and come and do discipleship. Okay? This is serious. We want to protect this generation. We really do want to protect this generation. And we're not trying to clump. I know when you've been in university and school, you think, oh, not another lesson. This is not a lesson. This is a life. I understand that. You've been studying all day. But this will be fun. This will be rewarding. This will be, this will keep you for so many years. Amen? So church, I put it on your radar. I put it, keep it on your radar. Discipleship. I'm going to be a son. That's our, that's our thrive. That's our thrust, I should say. You're a saint. Bible's made you a saint. But when you move into servanthood, into soldiering, into sonship. Let's stand to our feet, please. I know we've gone over time, but you're not coming back tonight, so... Father, just raise your hands if you will, please. You know, we've had a powerful morning this morning. We've seen the Holy Ghost move. God has been gracious to us. He's spoken to our hearts about how much he loves us and how much he wants us to come out the, out the, the cave. This is an extension of his love to protect your sincere, pure devotion. I certainly feel in my heart no apologies to ask us to rise to the next level because it's, it's natural in Scripture to do it. Laying everything aside, we press on, the Bible says. Laying aside those things that entangle us. 
We press on to lay hold of him. So, Father, seal this word in our hearts today. Seal it in our hearts, O God. Show us through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't want to accept another gospel. We don't want to accept another Christ. We don't want to be deceived by another spirit. We don't want to be deceived by sound arguments, philosophies that the spirit of the age are presenting to to us. We don't want to put up with things easily and accept things easily. So, Father, put into our hearts the same concerns so that we'll move towards protecting our lives. Open our hearts, O God, to receive discipleship. Open our hearts to receive mentoring. Open our hearts to receive fathering. Oh God, you need to do this sovereign work on our lives. Because Lord, we know to get permission to go into somebody's life, Lord, you, know, you must have already worked on that life. So oh God, open our hearts to receive you and all that you've got for us. Lord, we love you. We're pursuing you. We're pursuing the Christ in each other. And to this, we'll, to this end, Lord God, we'll labor with all your energy so that Christ can be formed in us and through us. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a standing ovation. Well, there's no cafe on this morning. Because when he's building the spirit, there's no cafe. But obviously, the building of the spirit's been cancelled. So we've not put the cafe on. We're giving our staff a rest. The servants a rest. So we can just pull the chairs out and the toys. When you've given it, you know, sit down and have a chat with some people first. And then we'll do it.